Good morning. If you would like to turn with me, we're reading this morning from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verses 22 to 29. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. This is the word of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight today. So one week after we began our series on giving and givers, I'm so delighted that you all came back. (laughs) Now last Sunday, uh, we learned that the source of all that we have and all that we give is a generous God. And actually Chris reminded the children of that earlier today. And as I mentioned last week, according to the Barna Research Group, only 10% of practicing Christians, and when Barna says practicing Christian, this is how they define that. Your faith is serious, you're serious about your faith and you attend church at least once a month. So Barna sets the bar pretty low. But according to Barna, only 10% of practicing American Christians have learned about money and finances and giving and generosity from their local church or from a religious leader. Only 10% of us. Even though, and this should encourage you, 90% of practicing Christians give, cha- give uh, charitably in, in the US. That is triple the amount that all Americans give. Triple. Christianity's ancient heritage of charity and generosity is a beautiful thing to consider. And it comes directly from the Bible. When God commanded that the ancient Israelites tithe their resources. And as you heard Chris mention to the children earlier, a tithe meant 10% of your income. Whatever, whatever type of material or agricultural or financial wealth you would generate, You gave 10% of it back to God. Now, as Americans become more and more secular, fewer people in our society have ever heard of what the tithe is, or certainly, if they've heard of it, don't know what it is. 
Now, just to reassure you so that you stop squirming in your seats, I'm going to tell you where I'm going this morning, right up front, okay? The tithe is a healthy principle to emulate, but not to stipulate. Tithing is a worthy consideration for every Christian to prayerfully consider, but it is not mandatory. But I do want to explain it. I want to talk about understanding the Old Testament concept of tithing, and I want to talk about how you can apply it as a Christian today in your own life. And I want to talk about superseding the tithe of the Bible. I want to talk about understanding the ancient tithe, applying it to our lives as a church today, and I want to talk about superseding it by the grace of God. Okay, understanding the tithe. So, we actually have to look at the law of Moses, which Johanna read for us today, and we actually have to go back even earlier in biblical history than the law of Moses. So, the tithe was not arbitrary. It wasn't some, like, uh, 10%, uh, I don't know, let's, you know, like, God was just picking straws out of a hat. It's not arbitrary, it's, it's not a power play that was imposed upon Israel by the socially elite of their society. It's something God commanded. God commanded a tithe of all Israelites, every Israelite, every household, as a means of first and foremost, above all other things, the tithe, and I'll, I'll mention three, three concepts, three uses of the tithe. The first is simply to encourage the worship of God. The tithe was about worshiping the one true God. So when you, when, you, when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, and you find examples of tithing all over the Old Testament, but here in Deuteronomy 14, we learn uh, God said to the Israelites, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. So it was annual. And before the Lord your God, and he, and he explains, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna bring all that your, your fields produce, and you're going to bring it to God, to the, to the tabernacle. And eventually the tabernacle became the temple, and the temple was in Jerusalem. So yearly you gather the proceeds of, of your land, and it says, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. So this particular instance of a tithe, it describes a worship feast at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, notice here, as the theologian John Frame does, that this particular example was an agricultural tithe. It's agricultural produce and livestock. Did you notice that? Now listen, I know some of you have goats, but not all of you. If you don't own a goat, and if you don't grow your own carrots, don't tune out here. This, is, <laughs> this still applies to all of us, okay? But this, note, notice it's just an agricultural tithe. But the precedent that Moses is working on here goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. So the patriarchs, the great ancestors of the Israelites, Abraham and, and Jacob specifically, there's evidence and precedent in their own lives of tithing. Both Abraham and Jacob, at least at one, on one occasion of both of their lives, gave God a tenth of their wealth. So in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham puts a little posse together and he goes out to rescue his nephew Lot, who was captured 
Um, and, and in the process of that, Abraham and his militia defeat a bunch of other people, and Abraham gets all the spoils. Like overnight, Abraham becomes rich. And it says this, this, this mysterious uh, king of Salem, uh, King Melchizedek, the, the king of righteousness, this priestly guy that we really don't know anything about, but the New Testament says was some type of a symbolic forerunner of Jesus Christ. It says that Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had collected from the spoils of his military victory. Now, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, did something similar. Jacob said to God, he made a vow. He said to God, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me the bread to eat and clothing to wear. In other words, Jacob said, God, if you take care of me and my people, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So long before tithing was an agricultural thing, when, when the, their, their descendants lived in the promised land and occupied it, long before that, the tithe was financial. But it was always about, whether agricultural or material or financial, the tithe was always primarily about worship. Because he goes on to say in verse 23 of Deuteronomy 14, the, the point of this the point of bringing your tithe in in worship to God is that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. The fundamental point of tithing was we worship our Creator and we do not forget Him. And we never forget, as we said last week, that all that we have and all that we give comes from God. He's the source of it all. And so we worship Him in tithing. But the second thing that the tithing provided was resources for the Levites. This was the priestly class. This was the tribe of Israel that was responsible for overseeing the entire engine of the worship tradition in ancient Israel. It says in verse 27, you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. The Levites didn't own their own land, so they had no way of generating their own income and wealth. God had said in Numbers 18, to the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, which was the tabernacle, which eventually became the temple. So tithe was about worship. Secondly, tithe was about providing for the Levites. Third, though, the tithe mandated generosity for the poor and the marginalized. At the end of three years, he went on to say, at the end of three years you shall bring out all the tithe, and he mentions the Levite again, of course, but he goes on to say that the sojourner, so that's the resident alien, that's the immigrant, the sojourner, the fatherless, orphans, and finally the widow, who had no means of protecting and providing for themselves in that society, the sojourner, the father, this the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. Now, now if, if, if you're more of a, a political thinker and a social thinker, realize that the Bible was thousands of years ahead of the modern liberal movement. You see that? Tithing, listen to this, for ancient Israel, when it, was a, when it was a geopolitical entity, a nation, a people group, and a religion, tithing guaranteed social justice for immigrants, for orphans, and for widows. This was a whole life 
social justice concept. So, the tithe, the ancient tithe, it, it supported the worship of God. It supported those who led the worship of God. And it supported the disadvantaged. The tithe facilitated the first and greatest commandment and the second. What's the first greatest commandment? Jesus said, love God. We, we, we looked at it in the Shema. Earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was our call to worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength as Jesus interpreted it. The tithe is loving God with your money. And what's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, Leviticus says. And so the tithe is not only loving God with your money, the tithe was loving your neighbor with your money as well. See, God commanded that all of Israel should tithe in order for all of Israel to be blessed, for all of Israel to flourish together. Moses, summarized, Moses closes the entire passage by, by showing us the point of the tithe in that system in that day and age. This is what it's all for, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So should Christians living today and for the last 2,000 years in the church age tithe? Not necessarily. But maybe. Let's talk about it. Applying, applying that tithe now, it, it would be nationally and economically and religiously impractical. The New Testament seems to care less about percentages. As you read the letters from Paul and Peter and James, it, it seems that the New Testament authors seem to care less about the percentages of people's generosity and more about the motivation of their hearts. That seems to be the, the, the big point in the New Testament because through the gospel, God's family extended beyond ancient Israel and the Jews to what? Every nation, every ethnicity, every class on the globe. So, so how, how can you stipulate right, and regulate something like a tithe when God's people expands from geopolitical Israel to as far as the waters cover the sea? It would be impractical to do that. And so in the New Testament, you see passages like this. Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, each, and he, by the way, he's telling the church in Corinth that they should really be generous to uh, the poorer church in Jerusalem because he's going to come back and, and pick up a collection for the other church. And Paul wrote, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see that? How do you put a percentage on a joyful heart, right? How, how do you quantify a generous heart? Paul understood you can't. God loves a cheerful heart, a joyful heart, a generous heart, regardless of the percentages. Because this was the Roman government, and unlike ancient Israel, Christians had no say over how the government was going to mitigate poverty and injustice and all that stuff and all these classes, rich and poor, men and women, slaves and free people all worshiping in one church together. And so Paul says what's important is that God loves a cheerful giver. Everybody needs to decide in his or her own heart 
what they're going to give to God. Pastor, please give me something practical. Is that like, like in, right? Like, come on, give me a figure, give me a number. I, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. I want to know how much to give. Okay, you've twisted my arm. Um, look, personally, I believe that tithing is a healthy practice to emulate, to imitate, to aim for, okay? Because it's not so much money that it deprives you of your own well-being. But it's just enough money that it requires you to trust God, parting with it, right? It's not so much that you leave yourself and your people destitute. But it's just enough that you have to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Because I can think of all sorts of things to do with 10% of my ink. I can buy a new car every three to four years. I can go on the kind of vacation that my neighbor goes on. I can pay for all of my kids' college. Right? But it's just enough, the 10%, that you really have to trust the Lord with parting with that money that you've worked so hard for. Uh, let, let's, let's make this really simple. So I want you to imagine that Becky bakes the family some warm, scrumptious, uh, and she does this, by the way, uh, warm, scrumptious bread, okay? And then, so what she does for dinner is she slices it up, large loaf, she slices it up into 10 generous portions. 10 equally generous portions. Now, for a large family like us, we're a family of eight. That means that everybody in my household can have at least one slice of bread. Everyone's covered. At least one slice of bread per person. But if we set aside 10% of that beautiful loaf of bread, that delicious loaf of bread, one slice is 10%. And if we set that aside, then it means the, neighbor, the neighbor's kid who may be at the house and hasn't eaten, now they can eat something, she can have something. And there's still another 10% left over, you see. The 10% principle encourages generosity without disabling yourself. You see that? It's not so much that you and your kids are destitute, and it's, it's enough that you really have to trust God with letting it go. And if everyone develops that type of mentality, mentality, remember Paul, we're not talking about percentages here. But if we all develop that mentality, Paul says the principle in Deuteronomy chapter 14, 29, that if you trust God with this, all of you will be blessed in all that you do, right? Paul says that principle carries over. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and he says... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Right? So if we practice this mentality, it means that all of us are provided for and the church is equipped to do God's will fully. Because all of us, if you're a member of Deep Run Church, we're all co-investors. We're all co-stewards. We talked about stewardship last week. We're all co-stewards and co-investors of the mission that God gave Deep Run Church. If you're a member, we are co-investors 
in the mission that God has given us as a church. So listen, decide in your own heart, if you haven't done this yet, decide in your own heart how to love God with your money and how to love your neighbor with your money. Maybe you're a new Christian or maybe you're a young person and you haven't sorted this out and maybe you're not employed right now and and you can't practically work it out. What I'm saying is the earlier in your life as a Christian or as an adult or a young adult, the earlier in your life you settle this matter in your heart, the easier time you're going to have as you get older and your job changes and your income level changes or you lose a job or you get some unexpected inheritance and you're always trying to figure out, what do I do with my money? How do I serve God with my money? How do I serve others with my money? The earlier you figure this out in your heart, the less personal trauma and confusion you're going to have as you get older, especially if you're married and you have to work this out together. So decide on your own, in your own heart, how to love God and others with your money. Look, maybe you can do more than tithe, great. Maybe you can only do less than a tithe, great. Just remember, God loves a cheerful giver. And if you need advice on this, if you want an honest conversation, because let's, let's be real, nobody wants to talk about their money. I get it. But listen, if you want to have a real conversation, talk to me and Becky. We'd be happy to share with you what we do and how we practice all of this. And look, if you're a member and you've seen the annual budget, you know how much money I make anyway. You might as well talk to me about it because I'm the one person in the room whose salary you actually know. So, so at least start there and say, okay, Brian, I've, I've seen the annual budget. Tell me what you and Becky do. We'd be happy to talk to you. And you know what? Elder Daniel Odegaard and his wife Megan have also said the same thing, that they would be happy to talk to anybody who has a question or wants to think this through practically. Decide in your own heart. Dismissing the tithe. Now listen, I know I've said it's not mandatory, but dismissing it, meaning thinking, oh, that was 4,000 years, that was 3,000 years ago. It doesn't apply to me. I don't need to worry about that. What I do with my own money is my own business. I'm telling you, if you're thinking that way, if you reason this whole tithe concept away, it may be hazardous to your faith. Remember what I said earlier that the tithe is just enough money Right, 10% is just enough money that it requires you to actually trust God? Well, if what you are giving, and look, I don't know what anybody's giving. I'll never know what anybody's giving. And in a sense, I don't care. But if what you are giving is not a sacrifice, if it doesn't cost you to give to God, God doesn't see it as faith. And he doesn't see it as generosity. The principle in the Bible is that giving to the Lord costs us. And therefore, we need to trust him when we let go of it. We each have to ask ourselves, and especially as Americans and as born and bred consumers, in a capitalistic society, we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis, Am I just loving myself with my money and giving God and my neighbors the leftovers? That is hazardous to your faith. It's hazardous to your holistic health, soul and body, because there is somebody infinitely more powerful than the IRS who knows what you are doing with your money. 
God said through the ancient prophet Malachi, many centuries after Moses in Deuteronomy, will man rob God? Yes, you are robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. So have you ever considered that how you view money and how you use your money and how you practice generosity reveals the position of your heart before your creator from whom all blessings flow? But here's the cool thing, and this is why I'm so happy I get to end on a positive note when we're talking about giving. God responds to our lack of generosity and to our selfishness and to our apathy and our indifference and self-indulgence. He responds by immeasurably superseding the 10%. Now, when I said, let's talk about superseding the 10%, you were worried that I meant you should supersede the 10%. That's not what I meant at all. God blows the 10% out of the water if we trust him and live by faith with our resources and our money. God said to those backslidden Israelites in their half-hearted generosity and their full-throttled selfishness, he said to them, bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. One of the only times that God says, hey, test me on this, it's okay. Push me on this. He says, test me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. This is how God responds to an act of faith. God blows away our expectations of what generosity actually is if we are willing to trust him. And he proved that centuries later when his only son when the eternal Son of God became a human being and gave all of himself, 33 years to this human existence, and gave all of himself, not 10%, 100% of himself on a Roman cross to die in our place. Like the old jazz classic, all of me, God says, why not take all of me? God doesn't give us 10%. He gave you 100% of himself. Now you give him 100% of your heart. Forget the percentage. Give him 100% of your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Give Jesus, who gave you 100% of himself, 100% of your heart and trust him and then let him sort out with you how much you should give individually. It doesn't matter if you give 20%. It doesn't matter if you give 2% if your heart isn't fully devoted to Jesus. Because it's not giving out of faith. It doesn't make your heavenly Father happy if you're not giving out of faith. The tithe is a healthy standard to emulate, to imitate, by God's grace, if he allows to aim for in our lives. But it is not a stipulation. So. Decide in your own heart, friends, how to love God with your money, how to love your neighbor with your money. And remember that we, as members of Deep Run Church, are co-investors, are co-stewards of the vision 
that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, as we walk through uh, understanding from your word what it means to be the beneficiaries of your grace, of your abundant provision in all ways, help us to become people who are generous by faith. In the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who spared no expense, who emptied himself to be our Lord. Oh, we're so proud of Jesus. Father, we're not impressed with ourselves. How much we give, we're not impressed. We're not. We're impressed with him. He gave everything, Father. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord. In his name, amen.